It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a sensational weekend. I know I did. I had a chance to go to Dayton. had a chance to go to Cincinnati and start my night. Uh, weekend in Nashville with the President of Freedom Fighter. Thanks to everyone for coming out. Truly appreciate it. This hour, we're going to be joined by Dr. Marty McCarry. Try to unwind, unwind what's happening now with this latest variant and why everyone seems to be panicking. Again, uh, how many times are we going to start the show like that? It's exactly what's going on. You think we'd get better at it. Instead, we're getting worse. Uh, we almost have um, PTSD. Uh, we'll talk about that and then take your calls. If you prefer to write, go to briankillme.com, and then you just hit in the comments. It comes right to my uh, email. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What do you make of that assessment? Did you lack the will? Absolutely not. The Afghan people made tremendous sacrifices for Afghanistan. I think uh, it would be dishonor to uh, take that away. Uh, what happened was the rug was pulled under the Afghans' feet. 100% true. Hamdullah Mohib on Face the Nation yesterday. You'll hear more from the former National Security Advisor, and you will hear about what Ghani did and didn't do. Afghanistan, the obligation we still have to, to the many we left behind and the economy that we just destroyed how Operation Dynamo just pulled off what the U.S. government was unwilling to do since August. Fly out our stranded allies and citizens safely. Number two. It's also important to understand that we expect Omicron to be a fast and temporary phenomenon. We expect these next weeks to see a very, very big surge in the number of cases, more than we've seen previously. All right. Oh, my. Oh, my. It's Omicron. A COVID variant that spreads quickly and kills and hospitalizes for you. Yet this nation gets led again by incompetent politicians into overreacting and restricting while reviving lockdown protocols. Why President Biden's message Tuesday? What he vows to outline on his attack plan on Tuesday and that we're going to be stuck with from there on in through the winter. It better be about living with it, therapeutics to treat it instead of running from it. Number one. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia. I can't vote for it. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is this is a no. This is a no. The art of overreach from leaving Afghanistan to declaring we beat the virus is now green and socializing the country. Biden has promised and failed to deliver in every way. His most brutal blow at the hands of Joe Manchin as Joe blows up, build back better, and thank goodness for that. They blew it up for a good reason. We can't afford it. And we don't want socialized country. We don't want to green our economy. The technology is not there. It's on a process. It's not on a rocket ship that's electric powered or nuclear fueled. That's just not going to happen. It's about family services. It's about housing, climate change, health care, education, taxes, immigration. This was going to do everything in one swoop. And it goes back to the meeting that Joe Biden had with all those historians and they said, Joe, you, you got 84 million votes. This is a chance to really transform America. No thanks. Joe Manchin said, are you kidding? I gave you the $1.9 trillion in March to get you off on the right foot. I didn't want to do it. And it helped fuel inflation. Even Larry Summers said that. 
And then you got a bipartisan deal. There you go. You didn't want to cash it. You finally cashed it in, and now you want another 1.9. The problem is, over 10 years, it's more closer to $4 trillion than $3 trillion. How is a guy who represents a state that Donald Trump won by 40 points going to go along with this? Schumer says he's still going to have a vote anyway in January on a version of this bill. But it looks like it's dead. Here's how it sounded in its entirety. Cut one. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, uh, I've always said this, Brett. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no. He says, I cannot take the risk with a staggering debt of more than $29 trillion and inflation taxes that are real and harmful to every hardworking American as the gasoline pumps, grocery stores, and utility bills with no end in sight. Yes, absolutely. But for some reason, this, this administration is taking its cues from Bernie Sanders. Now, you cannot go off and just have a temper tantrum against Joe Manchin. It's a 50-50 Senate with the vice president breaking the deadlock because Republicans did the impossible. They threw Georgia two Senate races in the street at the same time. They were favored to win. But if you alienate Joe Manchin and he becomes Joe Lieberman, who caucuses with the Democrats but stays independent, you've lost. And if he switched to Republicans, you've lost the majority. And that's probably going to happen in a year. My fingers are crossed they are, especially by the way that he's governing. So listen to some of these short-sighted, angry liberal socialists. Cut five. But if that is the case, then I hope that we will bring a strong bill to the floor of the Senate as soon as we can and let Mr. Manchin explain to the people of West Virginia why he doesn't have the guts to stand up to powerful special interests. If he doesn't have the courage to do the right thing for the working families of West Virginia and America, let him vote no in front of the whole world. Look, I can't do the definitive biography of Joe Manchin, but I talked to him when he was governor, when there was a coal collapse of a coal mine, and that was uh, 20 years ago. I've been in touch with him pretty regularly until recently because I think they want to shut down and don't want him to be associated uh, with anything that looks like it's right or or severely left. So Joe Manchin, is that's going to tick him off when you question his courage and you think that he's selling out the special interest groups because he doesn't agree with Bernie Sanders, who's never accomplished anything in his life. He just rants about this country. Please. That is going to do nothing but make him dig in more. And it's not good. he's going to make his approval ratings go up in his home city. So that's uh, his home state, I should say. So that should, you should keep in mind. Don't get angry. You still need him if you want to do anything at all. Here's Elon Omar. Suddenly she realizes uh, she's on television. Cut seven. We all knew that uh, Senator Manchin couldn't be trusted. Um, you know, the the excuses that he just made, um, I think, are complete bull****. Um, it is really disheartening uh, to hear him say that he has been trying to get there for the people of West Virginia um, uh, because that's a complete lie. There are just so many things that, you know, the people of West Virginia desperately need. Uh, and we know that he is not um, working on uh, behalf of their interest. And uh, I really am uh, just completely disappointed and disgusted by his reasoning. So we got to federalize elections now. Now they're going to be pushing for voting rights to federalize the elections and pressure on Manchin to blow up 
the filibuster, which he's not going to do, and is called anti-American for not doing it. A joke. Cori Bush, known most for causing an uproar in Ferguson, and now a congresswoman who never missed an opportunity to say uh, defund the police to the embarrassment of even the president, knows that this president told them decouple the bipartisan deal with the reconciliation deal. We'll just do it separately. Now Joe Biden blew that up. Cut 11. It is not a huge surprise. We have been, and let me be clear, there are six of us who had been saying this all along. Representative Ocasio-Cortez, Representative Presley, Representative Tlaib, Representative Bowman, Representative Omar, and myself, we have been saying this for weeks that this would happen, and we took the hits. This was a no all along. And so what we had was a bit of leverage, which was having the coupling of the two bills, the BIF, the um, uh, infrastructure package, as well as the Build Back Better Act. The, having those coupled together was the only leverage we had. And what did the caucus do? We tossed it. Well, you could just not have that at all, and then no infrastructure, and you throw away a bipartisan bill. That's someone who's just an activist, just wants to have her own point of view, and doesn't understand the big picture. It's like, for example, only caring about how many points you score and how many assists you have, not whether the team wins or loses. Someone on either side has got to think more, less about themselves and more about, I don't know, the country. Now, if you even want Joe Biden to be successful at all, you don't blow up Joe Manchin. You express disappointment. But the worst example was the White House itself. I mean, Jen Psaki puts out a letter basically calling Joe Manchin a liar. I mean, I'll give you some of it. Senator Manchin's comments this morning on Fox are at odds with his discussion this week with the president. Weeks ago, Manchin committed to the president at his home in Wilmington to support the Build Back Better framework that the president was subsequently announced. Senator Manchin pledged repeatedly to negotiate and finalize the framework. If this comments on Fox and written statements indicate an end of the effort, they represent a sudden and inexplicable reversal in his position and a breach of his commitments to the president of the United States. Just as Senator Manchin reversed his position on Build Back Better this morning, we'll continue to press him going further. And it got much deeper than that. Rachel Bade, uh, actually, I'd rather hear this. Robert Costa, who was on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, gives us some of the backstory. Cut 20. The backstory here, John, is intriguing because Senator Manchin back in March was a critical vote for President Biden to pass that $1.9 trillion American rescue plan. And at the time, President Biden had to go to the wall and really plead with Manchin, come around on this, Joe. I need this vote. My presidency's on the line. And Manchin, somewhat reluctantly, came along, gave Biden the vote he needed on that $1.9 trillion bill. But some of the White House's own political capital, as we show in our book and my own reporting, has been spent with Manchin. And he doesn't feel pressure from this White House or from progressives. Yeah, and the president's not popular. His agenda is now blown up. Look, I remember when President Trump said, if you want to redo Obamacare and come, come with a replacement, we'll start there. Well, Paul Ryan had no one ready to go. They end up doing a skinny replacement Joe, Man- Joe uh, excuse me, Senator John McCain, even though he told Lindsey Graham earlier in the day he was going to vote for it, it would have been the deciding vote, he voted against it. It already passed the House. So he had a famous thumbs down, and they said Donald Trump's presidency was dead. He ended up getting uh, tax, re- uh, tax reform, which is so good. President Trump benefited from it, and President Biden's been unable to convince a number of Democrats even to up the corporate tax rate or the upper bracket that he just reduced about one and a half points was mostly for the middle class. So 
The other big story, which I'm going to go over more with Marty McCary, is uh, on the coronavirus. And uh, I'm going to go over details with that, but I want to skip right to uh, Afghanistan because I saw the security advisor, the former security advisor, her name's his name is uh, the National Security Advisor for Afghanistan, Abdullah Mohib. He left with Gahani the day that uh, Kabul collapsed. He wants to give his side of the story. Uh, remember, Joe Biden said this, cut 35. Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed, sometime without trying to fight. We gave them every tool they could need. We provided close air support. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. We could not provide them was the will to fight for that future. That is not true. And we know the big picture. You provided no air cover. You cut a deal with Khalizad and um, and uh, the prisoner who is now running things as a communications director in Af- with the Taliban. And you said, okay. Don't kill our guys, but you can kill Afghanis. We're not going to provide them any air support. That was part of the deal. And they didn't even deal them into the early peace talks, which was a mistake on Trump's part. But there's no way Trump would have let it happen like this. He would have taken them out in a second had they moved on Kabul too soon. The Afghanistan troops fell because their families were being threatened, and they said the Americans were going to leave. So Abdullah Mohib, and you'll hear more from this throughout the show today, was asked uh, this by Margaret Brennan, Cut 38. What do you think your biggest mistake was? We should have understood that the United States and uh, has made its decision and, and would withdraw under any circumstances. Uh, and I think that probably uh, is one of, the, you know, one of the reasons we weren't able to uh, secure another outcome. You felt that you were going to have the United States change its mind? based on conditions no. on the ground? No. I felt, I felt that our partners, the United States included, believed in a democratic Afghanistan, a place where we were going to preserve the gains of the last 20 years. I thought those gains meant something. So did I. And the more I look at the humanitarian effort, uh, right now everyone's starving. The Taliban have no interest in the everyday people, and that's their problem. They took over. But we do have somewhat of an obligation for 20 years. We provided maybe 80 percent of all their entire economy. And now people, they're not getting they're not looking for guns. We gave that to them. We gave them the armaments. We didn't give them any money. So they absolutely can't get their own money out of the bank. And I do think there's a way to get in there and get food, clothing and people access to their own money without saying you're supporting the terrorist regime of the Taliban. You have to find a way. This administration's ignoring Afghanistan like they do the border. And there's something immoral about that. As much as I hate helping the Taliban, I also hate to see millions of people starve to death because of what my country did. one 408 7669 What do you think? You might vehemently disagree, and that's fine. Uh, all views are welcome. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news, twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Just so much going on here right now. Uh, it was just uh, wild over the weekend to watch the Sunday show. So many times I say, why am I watching this? They're leading up to Christmas. They're not even putting their uh, – there's not a lot going on, and they're not putting their best people out there. They're just kind of marking time. But not yesterday between this big guest here and, of course, Brett Baer, who has Fox News Sundays getting a rotation there. I'm not sure if he wants it. I'll ask him. Maybe I'll ask him. Uh, yeah, I'll ask him and see if he wants it. I don't know how he would do it. Seven days a week, uh, six days a week. But to open up with Joe Manchin saying that would just absolutely cut the legs out from Mr. Overreach, Joe Biden. I mean, it's unbelievable that Manchin would do that. Now, this is where it went down, understood, reportedly. Manchin's office called the White House and said, I'm going on Fox and I'm going to say I'm out. I'm out of Build Back Better. When the word got to Biden, the White House was scrambling to put him on the line and stop him from doing it. And he refused to take the call. Uh, I don't blame him. I mean, for number one, you you definitely want to stop being harangued. You got they're jumping on his car in the garage. They're surrounding his houseboat in the water. They're harassing Kirsten Sinema, who maybe that's the reason why we don't hear much from her now either, because uh, she doesn't want to be in the eye of the storm, and maybe Joe Biden is doing the heroic thing that Senator Mark Kelly should be doing, and that's just coming forward and saying, uh, saying, hey, well, I'm not going to vote for this. It is dead. The other big story, I thought. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Was this exchange with Charlemagne the God, who Stephen Colbert is putting uh, is sponsoring, I guess, pay executive producing his talk show on uh, the Comedy Channel? Listen to his exchange with Kamala Harris. Cut to who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really, Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell. No, no, sometimes. no, 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 no. It's Joe Biden, and don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? It's Bi- and, it's Bi- and it's Joe Biden, and I'm vice president, and my name is Kamala Harris. Yeah, kind of a weird follow-up there, but she got defensive. But she also said something else, and I'm going to play 
when we get back with Dr. Morning McCary. And she's, he's going, she asked a question. The Delta variant caught us by surprise. Wow. Because it always hits Israel and Europe first and then hits us. It's just, uh, that's just the, that's the cadence of this. Why did it catch you by surprise? Why did this whole thing catch us by surprise? Why was Anthony Fauci wrong over and over again never gets a tough question? We're going to ask some real questions to Dr. Marty McCary, who's done a talk about this thing that no one talks about. Therapeutics. Can you imagine? Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, the big finding is that masks in school work. Um, We've only had in some school districts about six weeks of school, and we've already had um, in a different study that was published today over 1,800 schools closed. Nearly a million children have been out of school because of school closures. But the study that you're referring to in Arizona demonstrated that schools that had masks were three and a half times less likely to have a school outbreak than schools that didn't have masks. Just as a follow-up, are are we sure that's not a correlation issue and not a causation, which is to say, like, there's higher levels of community transmission in the school districts that are also the ones most inclined to not have a masking policy? See what I'm saying? Yeah. No, and, and that's actually been studied as well. And we've examined those correlations for exactly the concern you raise. This is an independent effect of masks. Yeah, not true. And the, the study is terrible. And it makes me revisit all studies. And here's why. I'm reading The Atlantic, of all places, and they do a review. Uh, David Zweig does a review of this and saw this three and a half times, three and a half times increase if you don't wear a mask of your chances of getting this virus for kids in school. And I'm thinking... That is huge. But he was thinking the same thing. And they said, why'd you pick Arizona? Well, Arizona went to school almost in the summer. They go to school from July 15th to August 31st. So what did you find? You found out that when you studied these, uh, the results in 480 schools that had no mandates and the schools that had a mandate, the max mandates, you're three and a half times more likely to get the virus if you were not wearing a mask. So that number is really high. And the point is they find out There weren't 880 schools. It was 840 schools. They found out that some of the schools they counted were virtual schools. Some of them were vocational schools. And some of them were not even in session until August 1st. How do you do a comprehensive, accurate study and not even look at the the rate in the community? So little Billy could be eight years old and he could be fine in school without a mask, but goes home and could get it somehow at the barbershop. They didn't take any of that into account. Joining me now, Dr. Marty McCarry has been saying, study the data before you talk, but no one does. He's a Johns Hopkins professor and a professional at medicine. Dr. McCarry, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. I want to talk about the the the, um, the, the newest variant. I get it. Uh, we, there's a lot we don't know. I understand it. But also I want to talk to you about this Atlantic Magazine story. As I mentioned on television with you a half hour ago, I thought about you because you always say why pe- you always read the study yourself and come up with your own conclusions. You're amazed how much is left out by so-called medical experts when they hop on television. Is this an example of a typical study that has not been fully examined? This, Brian, is, is medical propaganda. If you look at it, 
the methodology is so flawed it should have been retracted. They actually are reporting data on more schools than exist in the locales that they that they claim they're studying. And as you mentioned, some of the schools were closed, and yet they looked at data from those schools. Some of the schools, about 40 of them, were virtual. Um, so this would have been retracted from any respected journal. And yet they, the CDC stands by these, this statistic. By the way, when they put out this statistic from this study that uh, you were 3.5 times more likely to get an outbreak in a school with mask, uh, without masks, that shaped policy for 56 million children for almost an additional year of school uh, restrictions. And now we're learning it was flawed. Um, so this is the manipulation of science that we're seeing from the CDC. And by the way, where's the medical establishment? You know, when remdesivir was reported out to have an, a so-called, quote-unquote, absolute risk reduction versus the proper term should have been a relative risk reduction, all heaven and earth in the medical community came down on the FDA saying that this was misrepresenting the data. It was just a tiny change of words and semantics. Here's a totally flawed study. The, the entire medical establishment is mum. Right. It's, it's incredible. We're still doing this. And, the, and when they were challenged by this, David Zweig said they just said, we stand by our study. They didn't even address the specific challenges from other epidemiologists. Here's David Zweig talking to, talking to Megan Kelly about this. Cut 32. These schools without mask mandates possibly were looked at for a longer period of time, but that seemed not possible. How could they possibly do this in the study? So I emailed with uh, the corresponding author on the study and I said, hey, I've been looking at the calendars. I know your study says it runs from July 15th to August 31st, but I'm seeing a whole bunch of schools that on their official calendar says they weren't even open until you know, August 10th. And to my amazement, she did confirm, yes, there are many different start dates, Many of the schools in the study did not run for the full six weeks. And ultimately, what we found was that um, there were schools, I think you just mentioned this, Megan, that were only open for three weeks. So we have some schools that are open for six and some that are open for three, double the length of time that they're looking at this. And here's where the kicker is. She did acknowledge to me that the schools without mask mandates were studied for a longer period of time. Wow. So I just want that to sink in. This is an invisible thumb on the scale. No one knew about this except me because I looked at the calendars. But all the media reports, all the stuff just saying, oh, three and a half times. It's a study. It went for six weeks. This is epidemiology 101. You can't compare two different groups looking for the incidence of something, but have one group that you're looking at for a longer period of time. Right. And this ends up being policy is the key, Dr. McCary. I don't care about Atlantic Magazine. I don't care about uh, Dr. Walensky. We, well, unfortunately, we have to care about it. She's setting policy. How could she not be embarrassed for her own credibility? She's got to hop back on camera and say, this is a study that's not worthy of my division. Here's what we're now understanding, Brian, is that the way in which our current public health officials are conducting research is to come up with their decision, and then go back and try to find data that fits that, and then they point to that data. It's a very backwards and dishonest, I call it manipulation uh, approach. By the way, WHO says kids should not be wearing masks under age six. The European CDC says kids should not be wearing masks in primary school, and they give reasons. 
and they basically are warning about what we just learned about from Brown University, that there's significant cognitive learning and motor deficits now from this prolonged mask use. You can do it for a couple days or weeks. There's not going to be a downside, but we're coming on two years. So in Bangladesh, they did this study with 340,000 people in a randomized trial, and they found that masks reduced the spread 11%. At least, I mean, that science is transparent, and you would think we'd build on that. Instead, we rewrite it and do something that's insult to everyone. So, yeah, Omnicron. That was surgical masks, by the way. The cloth masks oh, was really? zero, but surgical masks, 11%. That's So right. do you believe that masks work? A surgical mask, yeah, during an active outbreak. But if you're immune, what are you protecting yourself from? Do you, the NFL has a policy right now that says if you are double vaccinated, you uh, unless you have symptoms, you do not have to get tested is that a good move? Because so many people that have been uh, been told you can't play feel fine, but test positive. <laughs> I was so glad to see the NFL start to have some degree of rationality to testing because the country needs to learn from this. We got to move from universal testing to selective testing. If you test every person in America right now for meningococcus, 10% are going to come back positive. Doesn't mean they're going to get meningitis. We're moving that way now with Omicron and COVID. So we've got to have selective testing for those who are possibly going to need to change their behavior around vulnerable Americans. Otherwise, we need to live our lives. I would think so. So uh, on this, uh, Omicron, what do we know? Yeah, so what we're looking at is now epidemiological data from South Africa that's updated showing that there, in fact, was a spike in in cases driven by Omicron. That spike is now rapidly plunging, and there was no increase in deaths. Deaths were flat. Hospitalizations were minimal, uh, less than 10% of what we saw in the previous Delta wave in that country. So this is going to be highly contagious. It's going to be out there. Most people will get it, I think. There's something we're missing with Omicron, and that is in South Africa, they only had a 25% vaccination rate during the Omicron wave. So why is it plunged so dramatically? It didn't get to everybody. Either the vast majority of people had an asymptomatic case and don't know it, or Omicron just infects people with a certain either you know genetic composition, blood type, vitamin D level, something that we're missing. But it's not uh, infecting everybody. So I want you to, so far, what they were saying yesterday is these Chinese vaccines, don't, no surprise, does not work. That's Sinovac. Russian vaccine obviously doesn't work. They say the JJ, uh, Johnson & Johnson, and AstraZeneca, not effective against this. But Moderna says they're effective, and so does Pfizer. They, they claim to be effective. What do you believe? So the problem with letting pharma tell us um, what we should be doing is that they're only looking at antibody levels. They're not looking at T-cells. And the reason is it's very practical. You just can't draw someone's blood and measure their T-cells. It's in the bone marrow. It's a, lo- it's, a, it's a more complicated study. You need to do it in a laboratory with people who consent. So what we have to follow is not the antibody binding. We have to follow whether or not people are showing up in the hospital. And we're not seeing that with Omicron. Now, Sure, J&J should have probably been designed as a two-dose regimen. That's becoming clear now. But it does appear to do its job in protecting against severe illness, and um, that's that's the goal. Why are we expecting eradication with these vaccines? By the way, China only gave their vaccine to other countries if they agreed to not recognize Taiwan, (laughs) which is um, something no one really knows about. So they poison the world, don't admit to it, still don't tell us the origins of it, and have us and have a condition to giving you a vaccine that, by the way, isn't effective. 
So uh, Dr. McCary with us. Dr. McCary, a little bit of a controversy, very similar to the Trump years. Uh, they have a politician say something and then Anthony, make Anthony Fauci look bad, and then he has to defend himself. But now he's in the awkward spot because Joe Biden worships him. Vice President Harris said this to the L.A. Times. We didn't see Delta coming. I think most scientists did not, upon whose advice and direction we have relied. He didn't see Delta coming. Uh, she said we, didn't see Omic- we did not see Omicron coming, and that's the nature of what this is. This awful virus has been, which, as it turns out, has mutations and variants. Dr. Fauci heard this and said this. Cut 22. I think that the vice president's uh, statement was taken a bit out of context. I believe she was referring to the fact that the, the, the extraordinary number of mutations and amino acid substitutions, particularly with Omicron, no one had expected it that much. But we were well prepared and expected that we were going to see variants. There's no doubt about that. So... What do we believe? Did we not see it coming? Did we see it coming? And isn't that nice to say she was taken out of context? Does he have context to, to talking with the vice president? Maybe you might want to yeah, start that story with, I talked to the vice president. <laughs> Dr. Fauci, I mean, let me understand this. Dr. Fauci is saying that Dr. that um, Kamala Harris was referring to the amino acid substitutions. I'm not sure she could tell you what an amino acid is. Most people don't. I mean, this is what they do in politics is they sort of cover for each other. And, and Fauci's part of that you know, group that uh, is part of this sort of political guard. Uh, we missed we, – we not only missed it, we're still missing it. Where are the therapeutics that we need out there right now? Uh, Veer uh, Pharmaceuticals has a product with GSK, GlaxoSmithKline. It's a monoclonal antibody that works really well against Omicron and all the variants – we only have 55,000 doses. I mean, here we, we've known about Omicron for over a month. Lilly has a product also, great monoclonal. We got 300,000 doses. I mean, good luck getting that thing dispersed. <laughs> they're still not talking about Paxlovid and Fluvoxamine. They not only missed it, they're still missing it. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> uh, it's scary. Uh, real quick, on Tuesday, we, we know the messages. We've heard them for two years what would, what do you hope President Biden says Tuesday when he gives us – he's taking his time telling us how we're going to get through the winter. But go ahead. What do you hope he Look, says? President Biden needs dramatically to change this entire strategy from just politicians begging individuals to get vaccinated. Sure, we need him to do that, but that's they're not going to convince him. We've got to start talking about focusing on hospitalizations, not cases. Get rid of these case trackers or let's focus on hospitalizations. And let's talk about therapeutics and let's get the word out and let's stop putting our kids in, in this hostage situation just because they're defenseless. If President Biden could say the word fluvoxamine, a, a drug that's already out there available at all the pharmacies under a prescription, 91 percent reduction in mortality. His own FDA is sitting on Paxlovid, which cut COVID deaths to zero. This speech tomorrow should be directed at his own bureaucrats who can turn things around for us immediately. No one should be dying of COVID right now, given all the therapeutics out there that we don't hear about. Hey, uh, Dr. McCary, now you have to go full-time with the Washington Bureau uh, and handle be there, doctor. <laughs> we let you go over there. We had you on camera through Fox Nation. It's kind of cool to see a two-camera shoot. So hopefully everyone watching us on the stream. I always appreciate talking to you. Thanks so much. Good to be with you, Brian. Thanks. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. You have a lot of questions. You hear they might even, they canceled nine Broadway plays. They canceled the Christmas show at Radio City. Is, is, uh, the fourth, is New Year's Eve next? 
It better not be. But this mayor wants to go out with everybody hating him, and this is probably the only thing he knows how to do. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Is it safe to get together with friends indoors if no one will be wearing a mask? I'll answer the question with a question. What is your tolerance for risk? Mine is very low. I would feel reasonably comfortable taking off my mask indoors with friends under three conditions. First, everyone must be vaccinated, and that includes a booster. Vaccine effectiveness can weaken over time and boosters increase protection against variants like Delta and Omicron. Second, anyone who feels the least bit sick should stay home. That includes mild symptoms that seem to be from a cold or allergies. Third, I'd want everyone to take a home antigen test immediately before getting together. It's very good at telling you if you have enough virus in your system to infect somebody else within the next several hours. Other considerations are the number of people in the room. I wouldn't want it to be too crowded. There should be good ventilation open the windows and doors, and consider using an air purifier. Exactly, especially in Minnesota. And, and let's wait, to, especially in February. Let's wait for February. And then open up all those windows. Is he crazy? If you are healthy, if you get vaccinated, you're not going to have any problem. You have mild symptoms. We live a life in which sometimes we can get a cold. Omicron is a cold. Two years. I'll give you two weeks to stop the spread. We gave you that. Now you're going on two years saying outrageous things about a variant that spreads quickly and there's no proof that it kills anybody. And if you have underlying conditions, go through your own doctor and get your own protocol. But this Dr. John LaPook of CBS, on CBS This Morning, if I'm vulnerable and I'm watching this or I'm just a person that just living my life and not able to follow this like we all follow this, I'm thinking to myself, why would I go out? It's too dangerous out there. How about travel? Get out of New York, Washington, California and travel and see how people are living their lives. I was on Broadway on Friday night. Thousands, tens of thousands of people walking around, enjoying their lives. I'm sure some will test positive, some won't. But it's just insane what everybody's having everybody else do uh, in order to avoid getting a virus that many of us have immunity to, that 70% have had at least uh, 70% have had at least one shot, and now they're going for the booster. They're going to make that mandatory. Soon they're going to have a specific for every variant. We're going to spend our whole day, every day we're going to get some type of shot. Which they first out say they're making it up. And we're seeing these studies. When anybody tells you the data says, just say, if I could see that study, I would really feel better about it. Hey, I'm going to be on the 7 o'clock tonight doing primetime. Make sure you join me there. Great roster of guests. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Yes, New York, which might not once again have New Year's Eve on Times Square because of Omicron, even though I could not even walk down the street yesterday, excuse me, on Friday. It was so packed in New York. And now everyone's getting a test, and we got a mayor saying, I'm going to decide on Christmas if there'll be a New Year's Eve here. Do you realize what it would do to the stores, uh, the traffic, the MTA, if people are not allowed to go in and celebrate New Year's Eve outdoors? Which I think before you get into one of those pens, which, by the way, is marginally enjoyable. I cannot see doing it. They don't let you out to go to the bathroom. You're gone for good. So you got to be prepared. Um, and yet they test you and make sure you don't drink. But they, they still pack the place. And the main thing is, it is fun to be there and say, well, in 2021, I was there. It became 2022. They might not have that again. Incredible. But good news is the Mets hired the right manager who will win now, Buck Showalter. Without those, uh, those are two small headlines for me. Now this for you. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What do you make of that assessment? Did you lack the will? Absolutely not. The Afghan people made tremendous sacrifices for Afghanistan. I think uh, it would be dishonor to uh, take that away. Uh, What happened was the rug was pulled under the Afghans' feet. Uh, No question. Uh, Abdullah Mohib, the former Afghanistan National Security Advisor on Face the Nation yesterday. The obligation we still have to the many we left behind and the economy that we just destroyed... How Operation Dynamo just pulled off what the U.S. government was unwilling or even acknowledged that there were Americans left behind. They actually brought stranded allies and citizens to JFK over the weekend. Number two. It's also important to understand that we expect Omicron to be a fast and temporary phenomenon. We expect these next weeks to see a very, very big surge in the number of cases, more than we've seen previously. And... Oh my, Omicron, a COVID variant that spreads quickly yet kills and hospitalizes few. Yet this nation, again, led by incompetent politicians, is overreacting and restricting while reviving lockdown protocols. Why Biden's message Tuesday, where he vows to outline a winter attack plan, better be about living with it and therapeutics and not running from it. Number one. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is this is a no. This is a no. This is a no. Just like that, Joe Manchin made Fox News Sunday very, very important with Brett Baer uh, again and still. The art of overreach from leaving Afghanistan to declaring we beat the virus to now to know uh, now green and socializing the country. Biden has promised and failed to deliver in every way. His most brutal blow at the hands of Joe Manchin as Joe blows up, build back better because it's worse. With me right now, Michael Goodwin, uh, a columnist from the New York Post, Fox News contributor. You can follow him, M. Goodwin underscore NY Post. How big a blow was this to Joe Biden's career and his first term? Uh, good morning, Brian. I, I think it's uh, almost incalculable how big it was because it uh, the dem- the 
Biden has very little to show for this first year. I mean, we've been through, you know, we discussed before the problems, Afghanistan, you mentioned, uh, inflation, uh, just this sense of polarization and division, the sense that he's an incompetent president, I think is, is magnified now, because here we are at the end of his first year in office, and it, it looks bad. There's, there's nothing to show for his presidency. There's a lot of disturbing information about his relationship with the vice president, the vice president herself. So you go down the checklist of things that you would like to accomplish in the first year, and so much of it was pushed into this bill. This bill was going to deliver the difference between Joe Biden and, say, Donald Trump, or the, between Joe Biden and any other Democrat, even. This was the moment. And look, I, you know, there's so much weight being put on Manchin's uh, decision, and it, it is obviously a big decision, but there were so many problems with the bill itself yeah. that the Democrats hadn't even all agreed. Great point. Uh, I mean, those Great who were point. for it hadn't agreed on yeah. many of the details. And so I think, uh, in a way, Manchin put them all out of their misery because who knows what this bill would have looked like in the end. Yeah, he's interesting because the Wall Street Journal had an opinion piece. Here's an excerpt. Joe Manchin's decision on Sunday to oppose the Build Back Better is a service to the country, sparing it from a huge tax increase and new entitlements that would have would fan inflation and erode the incentive for Americans to work. Paradoxically, it's a blessing for Democrats if they get the message and it, and it offers the president a way out. Uh, he, meanwhile, the, the headline said Joe Manchin rescues the Democrats. His opposition to Build Back Better gives uh, Biden a chance to change course. The question is, to change course, he would have to openly run away from the defund the police, Corey Bush, and the rest of the squad who live for these socialized programs led by Bernie Sanders, who said this, attacking Joe Manchin personally. Cut six. Well, I think he's going to have a lot of explaining to do to the people of West Virginia to tell them why he doesn't have the guts to take on the drug companies and lower the cost of prescription drugs, why he is not prepared to expand home health care. West Virginia is one of the poorest states in this country. you got elderly people and disabled people who would like to stay at home or forced into nursing homes. He's going to have to tell the people of West Virginia why he doesn't want to expand Medicare to cover dental, hearing, and eyeglasses. I've been to West Virginia a number of times, and it's a great state, beautiful people. So he knows West Virginia because he went there a few times, as opposed to the state <laughs> that Donald Trump won by 40 points. And they, they, didn't, well, they didn't elect Bernie Sanders. The socialists would have gotten a half hash marks. You know, Brian, it just strikes me as one of the features of the modern Democratic Party. And I think Republicans have been there in their own way in the past more so than now. But it is if people don't understand me, if they don't agree with me, they're just stupid. Yep. They don't know. They're Cowards. ignorant or they're, or, or they're corrupt. I mean, th- this, I think, is what Barack Obama brought to the Democratic Party. As Karl Rove said about Obama, there's no such thing as an honest disagreement. Uh, you're either corrupt or you're ignorant 
if you don't agree. And that is now what the Democratic Party is all about. We will cancel you. We will shut you up. I mean, the White House put out a statement yesterday about the unvaccinated, which was almost like a death wish. It was you're going to have a miserable winter. You're yeah. going to get sick. And you're, I mean, what are they? There's no attempt to understand that just that uh, other people may have different views. And can't we reason together? If the president of the United States cannot reason with uh, those who disagree with him, if he cannot reach some kind of accommodation with 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 Manchin, for example, I think then he's not doing his job as president. And Joe Biden promised that he would be that kind of president. In fact, what he became was the tool of Nancy Pelosi, who became the tool of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the squad, and and, uh, Chuck Schumer, who became the tool of Bernie Sanders. In other words, the Democrats outsourced their power to the far, far left wing of their party. And so then you end up with a guy like Manchin having an outsized uh, power to say no, and the whole thing crumbles. I mean, you can't just blame Manchin if you're a Democrat. You have to say, why did Joe Biden put himself in a position where a Joe Manchin or a Kirsten Cinema could could wreck the whole thing. I mean, it's a foolish venture to put yourself into that corner in the first place. So the Daily Beast writes in their lit editorial today: the entire nation of 350 million has been hijacked and screwed by a corporate greed and lobbyist who owns who own a man who represents 1.8 million. I guess that means West Virginians. So, so of course, he can't just be a moderate. He has to be sold out to somebody because he happens to be wealthy. Uh, the way I understand it, he didn't steal that money. He earned that money and has respect for it. So I just think that uh, I'm amazed at others that haven't stepped up and expressed some t- concern. Where's Chris Coons? He knows better. Where's John Tester? He pretends to know better. Where is Kristen uh, Cinema? I mean, she's done a great job and showed great courage, but she should be standing up there, too. Uh, Senator Warren, he's a self-made multimillionaire. He knows this is no way to bring our country through the pandemic that we can't spend anymore. But they let Manchin twist by himself. Well, and Cinema said yesterday, I believe, that, uh, you know, that she and Manchin were basically not alone, that there were others in the party who have who had grave doubts about this bill. And I think that's that's what's amazing to me, uh, this idea that, uh, let's say, Manchin and Cinema were, were not going to vote for this. Does that really mean 48 other Democrats were going to vote for this, this monstrosity <laughs> that would drive up the debt? And it's, it's Interesting, Brian. The New York Times today, in its in its attack on Mansion, uh, says that uh, the bill was not going to drive up inflation as he can, as he's worried about. In fact, it would have very little impact. It's interesting. It's almost like they're they're taking the opposite side. This is not a great big bill. This is not a wonderful bill. This is a very slow moving rollout of programs. I mean, they're almost saying, "What's the big deal?" The the bill wasn't that big. Well, of course, that's not what they said last week when they keep pushing it. So I think a lot of Democrats are very confused. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out uh, 
what to do with their party. They have this power, and they have gotten nothing out of it in the first year. And so I think the Wall Street Journal is right. This is an opportunity for Joe Biden to rescue his presidency. But I have to say, I can't see him doing it for all the reasons you and I have been discussing for months. Okay, the other big one. I only got 90 seconds, but I want you to hear this exchange on Face the Nation. The second in charge. Uh, the National Security Advisor of the former Afghanistan government emerged from uh, exile. He was with Gahani, and he was skewered by Margaret Brennan. But I thought he said a lot. Cut 38. What do you think your biggest mistake was? We should have understood that the United States and, uh, has made its decision and, and would withdraw under any circumstances. Uh, and I think that probably... Uh, is one of the you know, one of the reasons we weren't able to uh, secure another outcome. You felt that you were going to have the United States change its mind based on conditions no. on the ground. No, I felt I felt that our partners, the United States included, believed in a democratic Afghanistan, a place where we were going to preserve the gains of the last twenty years. I thought those gains meant something. I never thought we were going to leave like this and that we would waste all this money and death and, and carnage and just leave. And now that country is literally starving to death because the terrorists have taken over and we don't deal with terrorists. But we do have a, a moral responsibility that all these children, these women don't die of starvation freezing in the winter, don't we? Well, you know, Brian, I think the last thing that, that he said there was right, that, that the United States would want to preserve yes. the gains of 20 years. Uh, I mean, I think it, leaving aside the humanitarian aspect of it, the fact that we were there for strategic reasons, and, and we achieved those reasons many, in many ways. It was a high price we paid, but we achieved something. And I, I know that, you know that people want to argue about Afghanistan uh, by focusing on the bad years and the loss of life and the price over those years. But it's, it's also reasonable, I think, to look at the whole 20 years as one, as one period. And we did achieve a great deal, and there was something to be said for remaining there and holding those gains with a small number of intelligence operatives and operating in and around Bagram Air Base. And so we lost our listening post on China, on Pakistan, on Iran. I mean, we lost a lot in addition to losing Afghanistan and all of those lives. And the reputation, it's, it's directly yes. related to Ukraine, Taiwan, every, like, just like you said, it's, uh, uh, we look weak around the world, and he's doing nothing to change that at all, especially with China, as he won't even ask about the virus that's poisoning America again. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Interesting time. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Have a great Christmas. Uh, you certainly worked hard enough to deserve it or holiday. Uh, when we come back, your calls, one 408 And then we're going to be joined at the bottom or, or somewhere in this hour by Harold Ford, a uh, Democrat that you can see now on the five uh, semi-regularly. Uh, and, all, of course, Fox News contributor uh, and somebody like Joe Manchin that wants to do things for the country First, not his party, which I think we need more of on both sides. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If he doesn't have the courage to do the right thing for the working families of West Virginia and America, let him vote no in front of the whole world. We, we all knew that uh, Senator Manchin couldn't be trusted. Um, you know, the, the excuses that he just made, um, I think, are a complete He has continued to move the goalpost. He has never negotiated in good faith. And he is obstructing the president's agenda. And I'm going to be looking for the phone number to the ghost of Christmas, past, present, and future, or the email address to see if they can go and see about Scrooge on, um, on uh, Christmas Eve. I'm sorry, not Scrooge, uh, Senator Manchin. So they were, uh, that was Cori Bush and everybody else just were ripping Joe Manchin for saying, I'm out, I'm Bill Back Better. And here's what he actually said to Brett Baer, cut one. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is this is a no. This is a no. That's a no. And he expanded on that. I cannot... Take that risk with a staggering debt more than $29 trillion, $29 trillion in inflation taxes that are real and harmful on every hardworking American at the gasoline pumps, grocery stores, and utility bills with no end in sight. Uh, AOC went on to say about an hour ago on another network, uh, it's ridiculous to think he can't explain to West Virginia why he's voting for this. The West Virginia, the, the Queens native who lives in Queens, represents Queens, has any idea where even West Virginia is located? If you know anything, why why would a state do you why would you understand a state that voted for Donald Trump by forty points? That's governor flip parties rather than deal with the Democratic Party in their state. But she understands better. So when we come back, uh, I'm going to take some of your calls on this. But it hasn't stopped everyone from uh, weighing in uh, from Bernie Sanders on down. This is what I will tell you. Chuck Schumer has since said when this came around, he was smart to not attack Manchin. He knows they can't lose Manchin to the Republicans, and to be an independent would even be tougher to win him over. So he says, Senator Schumer says he will bring the Build Back Better plan, some version, up for a vote in January. So everybody can see where everybody stands. How will that help him? I'm not sure. From from uh, family services to housing to climate to health care to education to taxes and immigration it was all in this omnibus bill. And it failed precipitously because it was the classic overreach. Thanks so much to everyone who picked up the president and freedom fighter. And I'll talk more about that tonight on primetime at 7 o'clock. Keep it here. Your calls next. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is 
one package stalling out in the U.S. Senate. We saw this with infrastructure at the beginning of 2021, where the House passed the Invest Act, didn't make it through the Senate, but we still got a terrific infrastructure deal done that's investing in water and transit and fixing roads and bridges for the next five years. And I expect that we're going to see the same for the Build Back Better agenda. We will uh, be able to pass components of it. We may have to take a different format, but it's not it's not dead. This version of it is stalled out. Yeah, Congressman Jake uh, Oshkloss of Massachusetts. And that's the tact you have to take, by the way. I mean, he's selling us. I get it. But to go ahead and attack him personally, call him a coward like Bernie Sanders is, who should be smarter than that, that means you don't even know politics. You can't rant. And one of the biggest problems that Donald Trump had, going after John McCain and alienating forever because he needed that vote. You need the vote of Susan Collins. Don't say she's not worth the time. You need the vote of Senator Lisa Murkowski because even though she's a moderate, she's she's a moderate. She's not going to agree with everything you do. She doesn't like your style. But what you do is you keep your powder dry because you need her. And that's what President Trump is, his greatest weakness. And we're seeing it right now, not with Joe Biden yet, with Jen Psaki, an ill-advised two-page letter criticizing, basically calling Joe Manchin a liar. How does that help? Did she do that on her own? Did Joe Biden tell her to do that? It's hard to believe that Joe Biden, if, if nothing else, he has experience, would actually think that that is smart. So what you got to do is say, okay, how do we get this guy back in the fray? And we can't alienate him, right? If you had 56 votes, that's, that's one thing, but you don't. You're about, you're, there's an excellent chance you're going to lose the Senate. And, man, I would bet everything I had you're going to lose the House. Here's Rachel Bade of Politico, and she had predicted they were going to pass something. Now she says this is the state of the Democratic Party. Cut 18. Clearly, they've got a big problem here on a number of issues. Number one, they sort of lost their greatest forcing mechanism to get this done. That was the Christmas deadline that Chuck Schumer set out in Congress. You know that if lawmakers want to get something done, you bump it up right up against the holidays, and often that sort of clears the decks and gets things through. Well, that didn't work. Neither did the expiration of the enhanced child tax credit. Uh, going into an election year, Democrats sort of saw this as something they had to pass to extend that child tax credit to keep making sure American families get these payments in an election year when they're facing, you know, an uphill battle. So, yeah, they could break it up individually, but when you say it's all going to be one year and it's going to cost $2 trillion, he says, well, what program ends in one year? you got, like, 25 programs here. They're all going to go on. And, and so they asked the CBL, say, can you, do the, can you score this for 10 years, how much it would cost, and with the offsets, the tax increases, how much it would actually cost? And it would be a $4 trillion bill. So they said that it was a phony CBO score. No, it wasn't phony. It was a practical CBO score because unless you pass something that was only going to be enacted for one year, then you have to extrapolate it out. What I think Lindsey Graham's making a mistake is making such a big deal they did the right thing. I wouldn't even put pressure on private conversations that you had between you and Joe Manchin. Maybe they were private, maybe they weren't. Maybe you got permission to speak out. Now, I talked to a congressman at one of my events for the President Freedom Fighter, and he met me there. And I did not know him before. And he said to me, the Build Back Better plan is not going to get passed. And I asked him, why did you vote? Why did you vote for to bail out the bipartisan infrastructure deal when you knew this Build Back Better thing was next? Everything that was negotiated out of the infrastructure deal, the bipartisan one, was in the Build Back Better, which was going to be simple 51 votes, and it passes without any Republican support. And he basically said he had a deal with Joe Manchin that that'll never pass. And guess what happened? It didn't pass. 
And guess what he wrote me last night? Told you. So you're right. So Joe Manchin's playing both sides. Now, why did Mitch McConnell come out of nowhere a month ago and raise the debt ceiling for two months? And Donald Trump and everybody else is rich in Mitch McConnell. You know why? Because he went up, I'm, I have pretty good sources. Joe Manchin went up to Mitch McConnell and said, listen, I'm taking all this heat because I don't want to blow the filibuster. Taking all this heat because I don't want to pack the court. Taking all this heat because I'm not going along with this spending palooza. You got to do me a favor. Raise the debt ceiling. Now, stupidly, Chuck Schumer came out and just mocked Republicans for doing it. Made Mitch, you know, you can imagine how angry he was. But what he did is Joe Manchin was being true to Republicans because it's true to what he believed. And he asked for something in return. Don't blow up the budget and act intransient to make me look as though I am a Republican, which I'm not. Every opportunity to flip, and I didn't. Never have as a Republican Democrat governor and a Democratic senator. So what does it mean? More from Rachel Bade, Cut 19. And then Joe Manchin just saying uh, he's a no on Build Back Better. I mean, look, this is a guy who has a fundamental ideological problem with spending $2 trillion at a time when we have a $30 trillion debt and inflation is at a 40-year high. This is going to be a big problem for him. He has problems with the structure of the bill, and I'm not sure it can pass the way it is right now. They might have to totally rework this thing, and we don't know what it's going to look like or when or if it's going to happen. Uh, No kidding. And so all the experts, and by the way, Kevin McCarthy actually told me this. I just remembered. So after he did an appearance on our couch, he was one of our first guests. I said, what's going to happen with this reconciliation package? He goes, they'll pass something. Almost everybody with years of experience who have the, have in their Rolodex, in their iPhone, has everybody, all the decision makers on speed dial. I'm making like 1990s references, I understand. But they still were caught by surprise by this. But they shouldn't have, because when Joe Biden sat down there with all those historians and he said, you know, I could be as big as FDR, FDR had substantial, had substantial advantages in the Senate and House and a huge mandate. And remember, he had an opportunity. It was tragic, a depression and a war, opportunity to transform America because we were cratering. We were spiraling down. There was no social safety net. There was no Social Security. There was no Medicare. There was no Medicaid. People were losing their jobs and had nothing. They were jumping out of windows. So he said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set something up. I'm going to print some money if I have to. I'm going to set something up and reset the social contract. That is not what Joe Biden had, nor, nor is it what we need. So I don't know what he's good he's do. And he doesn't have the charisma like Barack Obama has charisma and composure. Bill Clinton, charisma and composure. John Kerry, none. Al Gore, none. Those other two, they could bring themselves out. They also had this survival mechanism. I'm not convinced that Joe Biden's even surviving. I mean, I know he's going to go four years. I'm not one of those people who thinks he's going to bail out before four years. But I just don't cannot picture this continuing. This guy was supposed to have all the experience. I'm not saying, you know, his thing is not to be the LBJ and have the hammer. The other thing I just wanted to bring up, too, while we're talking politics, Kamala Harris went on with Charlemagne the God. He's, he's on uh, The Daily Show. He's a big-time morning, uh, morning host, now got a TV gig. And he was the one who asked Joe Biden that question, you know, why should we vote for you? And he says, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Remember that? Charlemagne the God was like, what? So Kamala Harris goes on. She's desperately trying to change her image. Meeting, had an interview with the San Francisco Chronicle, with the Los Angeles Times. I think she's going on to do a, a big interview with CBS. I'm pretty, yeah, yeah, on Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan. And the, he, she did this interview, cut to. 
Who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really. Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell no, no, sometimes. No, 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 no. It's Joe Biden. And don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? It's Joe and, it's Joe and it's Joe Biden. And I'm vice president. And my name is Kamala Harris. Yeah. Got a little sanctimonious there. But you got to be tough. I mean, she stopped the giggling, and she knows she's got to stop it. Uh, and she actually looked better in that situation. But here's uh, Yvette Simpson. She's ABC News contributor. Uh, she's lefty. Cut three. I want to go back to the Charlemagne comment, and okay. I, I want to say that the vice president did exactly what she had to do there. But the question that Charlemagne is asking is the question a lot of Americans are asking, who's in charge here? And it doesn't look like Joe Biden's in charge. In fact, Manchin is pulling a lot of punches, and he's also making it look like Joe Biden doesn't know what he's doing, and he's not the man in control. Yeah, he certainly doesn't have the power of persuasion, and they said that they're friends. When we come back, Harold Ford, Democratic Party. I mean, are they going to be more mansion-like, or are they just going to try to left-wing it the rest of the way? You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, uh, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no. Yes, uh, that was the story on with Brett Baer hosting Fox News Sunday, and he uh, rocked the uh, rock Washington and rocked the country and the market. By the way, down 655 points. There won't be this spending palooza. Uh, the call Build Back Better, the reconciliation package with simple uh, party line votes, will not be going there because they can't afford to lose anybody, and they lost at least Senator Manchin. With me right now, uh, somebody that I maybe this is a leap, but I think agrees with Senator Manchin on a lot of issues. That I might label, if you don't mind, a moderate. Uh, Harold Ford, who's been starring on The Five and will be for, for the foreseeable future, the number one show in all of television, bar none. Harold, welcome back. Hey, brother. How are you? Good morning and uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, back at you, uh, Harold. It's always great to talk to you, but also to get your perspective on this, because what I think is so great about you, you're not predictable. I remember watching even on MSNBC being critical of President Obama when you thought the leadership wasn't there, the messaging was off, or you didn't like the program because you were about the country first. Did Joe Manchin do the right thing? I think he did. I think that, first off, um, when you are representing the people whom you represent, you are, you're, you're way ahead of the, the, the curve in terms of doing right when you're in politics. And when you take the amount of time I think he, he took to try to understand the legislation and, and, and even to offer some uh, suggestions to how the, the legislation or the package or the program could be reformatted, I think is a good thing. I listened to him yesterday on Brett, and I thought, I thought Brett was excellent uh, in the interview with him. I, I think he gave the Democrats and the country, and for that matter, his Republican colleagues, a path to how they could do something that would be helpful to 
you know, the two or three constituencies that I think he's trying to address. One, I do think this child tax credit is 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 important. If we want, you have, you have households that have two workers in it, uh, and sometimes you have households that only have one, and it could very well. Uh, uh, be uh, the husband or the wife, but if you want two people back in the workplace, I think it is, and particularly when they, if they were doing that before, and the wife or the husband, whomever is the primary caregiver, uh, wants to wants to be able to get back. I think the tax credit helps. I think there are things around education and early childhood that and you and I've had a conversation. We don't necessarily agree on this, but I do think that there's some there's some some aspects of this of this build back better that need to be part of a of, of a package is the number 1.75 trillion i'm not I've, I've never thought that was the the right number i think it's too big i think somewhere you know the trillion dollar category is probably right but what democrats need to do is to begin to talk about what's in it but you asked me a basic question and i and i think joe manchin um he did he did what he thought was right i don't necessarily disagree with him and uh, the politics will take care of itself, and I hope that those who disagree with him in my own party will find ways to work with him. And I even, I even hope that Republicans who are celebrating doing a little victory lap saying that Biden didn't get this done in the Senate ought to, ought, ought to be willing to reach out to him as well and say, what can we do to work together? Well, you That's know what? what I would do. Congressman, as you know, he has been working with Republicans. That was the reason why the debt ceiling got raised. Uh, and that's part of the reason why he got he got those Republicans more than Joe Biden to go along saying, you come along with me here. I'll continue to hold up with, in not so many words. I'll hold on to the filibuster. I will not go along with packing the court. I will not necessarily federalize the elections. That's all that would be done if Joe Man- Manchin was like, uh, let's say, uh, Senator Kamala Harris or or Congresswoman Cory Bush. And I think there is a deal going on. Can you tell our listeners what you think's happening? Well, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know um, what, what what kind of deal might be going on or what what they might be working on. But I can I can surmise based on some some things I know. I mean, I do think the voting rights legislation that Democrats want to see passed. I do think that fundamental to anything that we do and foundational anything we do is letting everybody vote and that it be fair and that we have you know who's voting and you you allow as many people to vote as possible and you you create the kind of integrity around counting those votes. And you know, for those of us like me who wonder why on any election, any given election night, you have election results in you know various states. And they'll say that 70 percent is reporting, 80 percent is reporting, 84 percent is reporting. And it seems like we wait for days for the balance, yeah. the 20 to 15 to 10 percent to report. And it's largely because we have all these different voting standards, even within various states. So, I mean, Democrats, Republicans alike who want to have more integrity and, and more reliability around our voting law, around our voting systems, yep. would it take a hard look at how, how we do those things? But look, I, I, I think well, what, what you just said is personally reasonable. What you said is perfectly reasonable. We seem to be going backwards into when no one ever expects a verdict on election night anymore. Which I don't know how that could be the case. We order, you know, we, we have packages shipped to us by FedEx. We have <laughs> things we order over Amazon and we're able to track it, know when it's when it's when it's succumb and it, it generally shows up. And if it doesn't, we know where to find it. But, you know, we should be able to have the same kind of reliability with, you know, with our voting laws. So I want you to hear, I mean, the, the personal attacks are so over the top. Here's here's Bernie Sanders. Cut six. Well, I think he's going to have a lot of explaining to do to the people of West Virginia to tell them why he doesn't have the guts to take on the drug companies and lower the cost of prescription drugs, why he is not prepared to expand home health care. West Virginia is one of the poorest states in this country. We have elderly people and disabled people who would like to stay at home were forced into nursing homes. 
He's going to have to tell the people of West Virginia why he doesn't want to expand Medicare. Well, in, in all candor, I'm not really sure a socialist from Vermont understands West Virginia. Uh, and to call him a coward, uh, I think is, a, is problematic because you need him, Congressman Ford, right? You need him. Well, no, you, you need, you know, in a, in a Senate that's 50-50, <clears throat> you know, everybody's vote, everybody's vote counts. Look, there's going to be intramural disagreements and tensions, and anytime you have a political party, anytime issues are tight, there are Republicans who, you know, who are confounded, if not straight out angry with Liz Cheney and Adam Kudzinger for their participation in the January 6th committee, and their Democrats are going to be upset with with, uh, with Joe Manchin. But Joe Manchin has, is laying out a path. I think if Senator Sanders and others, others listen to him closely – what he's saying is, I can't be for all of this, but I can be for some of this. And uh, let's let's sit down and figure out what it is I can be with. And if the one side says no, we only want everything, and the other yeah. side says no, we want our everything, you know what that's called? That's called we'd have never had America if everybody sat down like that because our country is built and predicated on a set of compromises. Absolutely, and those compromises have you know have have, have been the greatest experiment the world's ever seen. Hopefully. Both parties, particularly my party at this moment, can can appreciate that and everybody sit down and try to hash out an agreement. This just came across. So Joe Manchin was pretty much eviscerated by Jen Psaki, basically called a liar to cut to it because he said one thing, according to her, and did another thing by going on with Brett. Senator Manchin just said this. Basically, oh, we have it? Oh, let's listen. The so there's, line is there was, there was, there was basically, and it's staff. It's staff-driven. I understand staff. This is not the president. This is staff. And they drove some things, and they put some things out that were absolutely inexcusable. In, in, in they know what it is, and that's it. So he said the staff put things out were inexcusable. It wasn't Joe Biden. Uh, so they now they got to – they have to understand there's – that was just one moment. They have another year at least and two more. Harold Ford, thanks so much. Have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas, brother. Thank you. All right. Put it all in perspective. Harold Ford, you'll see him on the 5. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Go to thebriankillme.com or the president and Freedom Fighter. Even get it signed. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. This hour, we're going to be joined by Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. Mark Thiessen is queuing up. Special thanks to everybody who met me out in Dayton. WHIO listeners, fantastic. We had a great venue, historic. Uh, We didn't have as much heat as I thought we'd have. But in the end, we were able to go and get there virtually on time to Cincinnati, because we had a little bit of a problem with the plane again, getting to WHIO. But the good news is uh, there was plenty of talent on the WHIO crew in order to uh, entertain the uh, the hundreds that came out. So it was fantastic. Number two is we also went over to Cincinnati. It was one of the best bookstores uh, you're ever going to have, right? Yeah, Joseph Bath in Cincinnati, and they have one in Lexington. They're phenomenal. Yeah, both of them. Two of the, uh, the highlight stops. I, I mean, Alice Hoos came out. was unbelievable. Uh, we went to so many stops along the way over the last since November second. Uh, it's been great. So uh, we'll have some different stops to talk about uh, the president and freedom fighter, uh, talking about race in America, where it started, pushing back against CRT and the sixteen nineteen project. I will do that all day long. And uh, of course, if you want to get it for Christmas, that would be great. But special thanks to everybody who came out. 
Uh, so, and tonight I'll see you at 7 o'clock on primetime. So before we get to Mark Thiessen, who's standing by, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What do you make of that assessment? Did you lack the will? Absolutely not. The Afghan people made tremendous sacrifices for Afghanistan. I think uh, it would be dishonor to uh, take that away. Uh, What happened was the rug was pulled under the Afghans' feet. Uh, That is the national security advisor to the former Afghan government who stepped up out of exile and spoke out on Face the Nation. You're going to hear some of that. I'll share with Mark, too. Number two. It's also important to understand that we expect Omicron to be a fast and temporary phenomenon. We expect these next weeks to see a very, very big surge in the number of cases, more than we've seen previously. Yeah, it's gonna, it's out. It spreads easily, but it has mild symptoms. We still have no plan except for shut everything down. And we're not the only country. I mean, most countries are worse than us. But we still can't stop any of this virus. We do not even acknowledge the virus has a say in this. So we want to kill DeSantis. We want to kill Abbott when Texas and Florida have high cases. Now they're low. And New York and Michigan and Ohio, things are starting to hit there as we get ready for the holiday season. What do you want to hear the president say on Tuesday? Number one. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is this is a no. This is a no. The art of overreach from leaving Afghanistan to declaring we beat the virus uh, and now green and socializing the country. That plan goes up in smokes. Biden has promised and failed to deliver in every way. His most brutal blow at the hands of Joe Manchin as Joe blows up Bill back better. And now they try to blow up Joe and he has since responded again. So it's now personal And they're personally attacking. Instead of saying, okay, it's not even one year of the Biden administration. We're at 50-50 Senate. We can't lose one senator. Maybe in my my biography, I will let everybody know how I really feel about Joe Manchin. But you shouldn't tell him now. Because calling him a coward, not really going to be effective. And now here is Joe Manchin after after Jen Psaki comes out with a statement. Jen Psaki essentially says this. Senator Manchin's comments this morning on Fox are at odds with what we discussed. Weeks ago, Manchin committed to the president at his home in Wilmington to support the Build Back Better plan. Uh, if his comments on Fox and written statement indicate an end to that effort, they represent a sudden and explicable reversal of his position and breach of his commitments to the president and the senator's colleagues in the House and Senate. Before I play back Joe Manchin's retort to that and being called a coward by socialist Bernie Sanders, let's bring in the always brave Mark Thiessen, the Washington Post uh, he's a senior fellow uh, anywhere he wants to be, especially the AEI, and he's a Fox News contributor. Mark, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. Mark, did you predict this? I I thought I thought Joe Manchin was going to do the right thing. I had a feeling that they were uh, they were uh, going too far. Uh, but I'll tell you, the number one, I mean, credit goes to Joe Manchin for standing his ground. But credit also to all those Republicans who negotiated the bipartisan infrastructure bill, because I will tell you this. If the hard infrastructure projects that this was originally a big, a single package, right? Hard infrastructure plus all the social spending. And they took all of the popular hard infrastructure projects that Joe Manchin supported 
out of that bill and passed it separately. If that hard infrastructure bill was in this was in this package, I'm not sure that Joe Biden would uh, Joe Manchin would have voted no. So that was that they they managed to number one by delivering for Manchin on on infrastructure. They saved the filibuster, which is saving the republic from court packing and from uh, you know goodbye filibuster and from more and more more states being added to to pad the, to pack that Senate with Democratic senators. They saved all that, and they also killed the Build Back Better. Uh, so, you know, God, God bless uh, Rob Portman and all the Republican senators who went out and did that bipartisan infrastructure bill. And they say the Republicans who bailed them out in the House because the squad didn't go along with it, they were promised by Manchin that he would not go for the other package. And it looks like Manchin was true to his word with them. But guess what he got? A bipartisan bill passed. He also, I believe, yep. got the about the debt ceiling lifted temporarily for a couple of months because he went up to yep. McConnell and said, you know, I can't hold I can't hold off my Democratic allies if you don't do anything with them at all. Yep. No, the, what, what it showed was that the, the, the helping cinema and helping mansion with with, with achieve, prove that bipartisanship could work uh, and, and doing something on infrastructure has paid enormous dividends for, for our country because it, sa- it saved the filibuster and it's also saved us $1.75 trillion in, in social welfare spending. And the other thing that, quite frankly, uh, contributed to Manchin's decision is that the, the left never compromised, right? So what Manchin said to them was, look, I want to support one thing, but, you, but, but we're going to do it for 10 years, right? You, it, it, he said, for example, I'll support the expansion of the child tax credit. But that to do that for ten years costs one point six trillion dollars, which is pretty much all of all of all of the bill. And they weren't willing to do that. What they were trying to do is do these budget gimmicks where they they kept all of the programs they wanted, but only funded them for one year, two year, three years. Which Manchin knew that they, that was un, that was not honest. That they we were going to they were going to eventually fund them for once you start a government program, it never gets shut off. Just look at Obamacare, right? So they were trying to do a rope-a-dope on him, and he's not stupid. He knew what they were doing. So he said, look, I'll support you if you pick something and do it for 10 years. And they weren't willing to do that. If, they, if Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer had said to him, let's just do the child tax credit for, for 10 years at $1.6 trillion, and we'll throw something, another $150 billion in for something else, he would have signed off on that, and they would have won. And then they would have had the infrastructure and everything, but they weren't willing to compromise anything. And, you know, I guess they just can't count. They, you know, if they, they're saying one man stood in the way of Biden's agenda. No, 51 senators, maybe 52, depending on what cinema would have done, stood in the way of what Biden wanted to do. And in a democracy, 52 or 51 senators win. Right. I, I just think the biggest mistake he made was convening all those historians to tell him how great he was, how many votes he got and how he could be like FDR. And there's a major difference. He did not have the advantages in the House and Senate. So Joe Manchin responded to the personal attacks, uh, you know, when they were talking about his courage and they said he lied. Here's what he said when Jen Psaki put out that two-pager. I cannot believe a White House would do have a communications put out a missive without the president signing off on it. That's something me, that means so much. But listen to this. The so bottom line is there was, there was there basically, and it's staff. It's staff-driven. I understand staff. It's not the president. It's the staff. And they drove some things, and they put some things out that were absolutely in, in, inexcusable. They know what it is, and that's it. So they attacked him personally, and they need him. Do they understand that there's a way to leave the party, and people do that? And if they keep doing it, he will, and, we're, and we'll receive no repercussions at home? 
No, they don't seem to understand that. They're driving him into the Republicans' arms. Look, the, the biggest obstacle to Joe Manchin crossing over to the Republican Party is Donald Trump, because uh, if Trump were to say to him, if, if he goes to the Republican Party and then he gets primaried by a, by a pro-Trump uh, Republican in, in, in uh, West Virginia, he's finished, right? So he knows that. And Trump is angry at him because of his vote on impeachment. If Donald Trump were to pick up the phone and call Joe Manchin and say, look, bygones, if you come over to the Republican Party, I'll support you and we, we, we won't, I won't primary you and I'll back you, uh, then Joe Manchin would have a clean path to come over. And then we'd be in the majority. We could be in the majority tomorrow with one phone call from Donald Trump. But, and I think Schumer uh, knows that. that. that yeah. But so why doesn't Trump do that? Why doesn't Donald Trump just call, pick up the phone and call Joe Manchin and say, congratulations, thank you for, for killing this monstrosity, and look, bygones be bygones. I, I, you did what you thought you had to do. I disagree with you, but it's over. Come over, join the Republican Party, and, uh, and we'll put us in the end. And Trump will get credit for, for restoring the majority. You see, I, I personally don't, don't know. I mean, do that. I actually think that he's 72 now. Another four years, he'd be 75. I'm not sure he wants to do this. Guy's so rich. Uh, so successful, but to say he's been bought by corporate interests, bought and sold by corporate interests, and then call him a coward, I, I mean, this stuff is so personal and so idiotic. I mean, I was against when President Trump went after John McCain and, and wouldn't let it go even in death. I said, that's not politically smart, let alone would you put that you put it in your biography how you really feel. But in, in yeah. right now, you need him. Yes. No, I mean, he literally, we could have the Senate majority... If if we if there was a clear path for him to become a Republican and or at least an independent who caucuses with Republicans like Bernie Sanders isn't a Democrat right he's an independent but he caucuses with the with, with the Democrats Joe Manchin could become an independent and caucus with the Republicans I mean and and all again just pick up the phone Mr President call him say it's over it's over bygones we I forgive you come come join the Republican Party and everything's forgiven Well Joe Biden has never recovered. From leaving Afghanistan and embarrassed the nation. And yesterday we got 29 people back uh, thanks to an operation, Dynamo, uh, that landed in JFK. Yep. And we have hundreds left. Even though we told us only 100 left, uh, there are hundreds, if not thousands. And they're all applying. Some are just applying for SIV status, and many of which deserve it. Remember, Joe Biden said this cut 35. Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. We gave them every tool they could need. We provided close air support. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. Well, that's not true. They didn't provide air support. You know, the deal that Trump started uh, began to alienate and put the, the Afghan regime on the clock. So Hamdullah Mob. Uh, Moab, uh, Moab uh, re emerged from exile, the former Afghanistan National Security Advisor, right under Gahani. And he wanted to bring uh, his perspective on how he's been talked about and the reality of what the Americans, us, did. Cut 36. What do you make of that assessment? Did you lack the will? Absolutely not. The Afghan people made tremendous sacrifices for Afghanistan. I think uh, uh, it's, it would be dishonor to uh, take that away. Uh, what happened was the rug was pulled under the Afghans' uh, feet. Uh, the decision uh, to talk directly and engage the Taliban um, and make a deal with the Taliban that didn't include the Afghan government was protested myself in this city 
uh, about what was going to happen to our government, what was going to happen to us. So he, he, that whole thing was, you know, we've been over this before, but the way they felt, it wasn't their lack of will. They knew they were leaving. We were leaving, and they were totally outmanned, backed by Pakistan and other forces. So they had no shot. 100%. Look, we abandoned the Afghan people. 100. We, we abandoned these people. And I'll tell you something. You know who didn't melt away? The Afghan special forces. So here's the worst. Every time I, I learn something new about the Afghan withdrawal, it makes me mad. I, I think I can't get madder. I can't get more disgusted. I learned something new. So I had the, the head of Project Exodus, which is another one of these groups that's helping uh, people escape, Mike Edwards, on my podcast. And something he told me is what they are focused on, they're rescuing the Afghan special forces. And they never melted away. They spent the closing month in Afghanistan helping our intelligence community and our special operations people rescue Americans who were trapped, who couldn't get to the airport. So these Afghan special forces guys were helping us rescue them. And then the last planes took off and we left them behind. And there's thousands of them. These are people who were vetted, not just by the State Department, but our military and intelligence. Many of them were brought over to the United States, went through Army Ranger training. They're Rangers certified. They're just Afghans, but they have the same skills and same talents of it as the Army Rangers do. And there are thousands of them left behind in Afghanistan in safe houses that are being paid for by Project Exodus because they can't leave the safe house because if they do, they'll be killed. And we abandoned them. It's amazing. And, the, and can you imagine how dangerous this is? You know, we talk about the, the equipment we left behind. If these guys get captured and they have no choice but to go to the other side because their, their choice is fight for us or be killed. Or your family we've got killed. Thousands of, 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 of trained killers that were trained in Army Ranger combat who will be forced to fight for the other side. That's insanity that we would ever leave these people behind and not do our duty to them. And he says the same thing at the border. He does Afghanistan. Doesn't want to talk about it, but we will. Uh, we got to get our people out. The other thing is we do have an obligation. I didn't think so initially, but the more I think about it, we broke their economy. We were their economy. And now we're letting these people starve in winter. Nothing to do with the Taliban. There's got to be a way to get some food to these people. Uh, it's bad enough we abandoned the, this, this flourishing democracy. As problematic as it was, but we can't let all these people starve because because Joe Absolutely. Biden thinks it's bad politically. Yeah, we got to do it through humanitarian aid groups, not through the government. We shouldn't be giving any aid to the Taliban, but 100 percent. And the other thing is we should be bringing these people here to the United States. And, and uh, you know what? If, if you look at what are what is the most pro-American community of immigrants in this country, it's the Vietnamese Americans, right? These people who were ab uh, abandoned by the United States, they came over to America. They are, they are Republican. Gotcha. They are conservative. We should, the Afghan refugees are going to be the most pro-Republican, pro-conservative, right. pro-American group of uh, – Just got to uh, uh, make sure we get the right guys. Uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks yep, so much. Uh, appreciate care. it. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your phone calls. Brian Kilmeade Show, then Brett Baer brings us inside the Joe Manchin interview. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Brett Baer standing by. He had the number one interview uh, really for probably the fall and winter when it comes to Joe Manchin and this definitive legislation. But for those people on the left that are panicking, remember, Donald Trump was said, I'm going to repeal Obamacare, was unable to do it because the replacement was a skinny plan, and nobody thought the skinny plan was effective, but they thought they could fix it. Paul Ryan hadn't did not have one ready to go to his detriment. And I don't think Rand Paul voted for either. And in the morning, the text message said, and I saw it to Lindsey Graham from John McCain, he's going to vote for it. And he changed his mind. And Donald Trump was able to bounce back despite the Russian investigation, all the other stuff that was swirling around and get tax reform done. And it stuck. And a lot of people were benefiting from it. And he also got a lot of trade deals done afterwards. When everyone said his agenda was done, if he couldn't get Obamacare, he was madder at people that told him he tried to get that first. But problem is, when people get something, they have a lot of they have a very hard time giving it up, and being told that they can't be affording. They can't afford it when the money's already there. So when we come back. Brett Baird's there. Uh, his book is still out, doing very well. Uh, to the rescue, and uh, the president, freedom fighter, is right before that in time, and also a great uh, a couple of great Christmas gifts. That, according to everybody I talked to, Brian Kilmeade show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Where I'm at right now, the inflation that I was concerned about, it's not transitory, it's real, it's harming every West Virginian. It's making it almost difficult for them to continue to go to their jobs, the cost of gasoline, the cost of groceries, the cost of utility bills. All of these things are hitting in every aspect of their life. Uh, That is Joe Manchin yesterday. The reason he would vote against the Build Back Better plan, it's dead before Christmas when they promised to pass it before Christmas. Brett Baer, Anchor Accessory Report, joins us. Hey, Brett, great job on Fox News Sunday. When did you realize that you had a story there? Manchin was the best booking in the city, no doubt about it. But when did you realize he was key, came to play? Well, I knew he was going to make news. Um, I didn't know it was going to be that news. Um, you know, I I'd, I'd chatted to try to book that interview throughout the week, and he was really hesitant to do it. Um, and the night before, uh, I talked to him and made sure everything was lined up and um, – he said, yeah, I, you know, build back better is a, is a good topic. And uh, then I said, you know, I, I didn't know what he was going to say. I had about 10 questions lined up about specifics of the bill. And when he started, um, you know, it just happened that he said, this is a no. And I had to say, wait, so that's it? You're done? This is no? And, um, yeah, that was a big moment. Yeah, and then when he did that, it rippled through everywhere. And do you have an idea when you think that no was decided? I think it was late in the week. Um, I think the negotiations were still ongoing. But listen, Brian, the big picture here is to look back and to say he was saying the exact same things for many, many months. He gave Chuck Schumer a list of demands. This is what I can do. And... 
it's like um, the leadership just didn't listen to them or they thought they could steamroll them. And they kept on coming back with these gimmicky programs that would be funded for a year. And he kept on saying, no, fund them out for 10 years and make priorities to fit under the 1.5 or even if you stretch to 1.7 trillion. So right away, Jen Psaki came out with a statement uh, slamming uh, Manchin, saying it's inexplicable. It's a reversal of what he said. Senator Manchin's comments this morning on Fox of True uh, uh, fly in the face uh, of his public utterances. Weeks ago, Senator Manchin committed to the president at his home in Wilmington to support the Build Back Better framework that the president then subsequently announced. Senator Manchin pledged repeatedly to negotiate on finalizing the framework in good faith. Uh, if this comment on Fox and written statements indicate an end to that effort, they represent a sudden, inexplicable, inexplicable reversal in position and a breach of his commitment to the president and the senator's colleagues uh, in the House and Senate. So do you really believe that that's a sincere um, outrage? And do you think the president signed off on that? I mean, that's sort of the reporting I read that he did. Uh, but, you know, Manchin today in West Virginia radio, I statewide radio, I think, said he thought that the reason it all fell apart was because of the staff and some of the things they did and said uh, about him and in their negotiations. So whoever chose at the White House to go scorched earth after what what Manchin said, which, again, was not different than he was saying, it's just he got to the definitive no on this bill. Um, I don't know. It's just an interesting tack. We'll see. I mean, remember, he is one senator. It's not he's the only senator. There are 50 other Republicans who are voted against, voting against it, too. And um, he's also a senator that potentially could say, you know what? I'm no longer a Democrat. I'm an independent. I'll choose which party I'm going to caucus with. And then suddenly you don't have Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. You have Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. So do you think he's been using his leverage all along with raising the debt ceiling, uh, with uh, getting that bipartisan deal done in order to keep the filibuster, stop the car cracking and the federalizing elections? You mean Manchin? Yep. Yeah, I think he was using leverage all along. And um, who knows what the end game is here? But here's what has happened is that they are going back to the drawing board. And, you know, he said in not so many words that parts of that thing could pass. The problem for Democrats is that they've already used the reconciliation bullet once. They only have two. And so if they want to package something, it's got to be much smaller and fit under the confines that Manchin said. And, you know, that just makes progressives pull their hair out. But there's nothing they can do about it. If you want to pass massive pieces of legislation, you got to elect more Democrats to do that because you can't do it with a slim majority. It's not like FDR passed all those things with one vote. Uh, very true. Here's uh, here's Ben Sass weighing in. Cut five. Fifteen. Joe told the truth uh, that President Biden and the progressive wing of their party are wildly out of touch. This mega spending bill um, was always nuts. And you heard it in Jen Psaki's arrogance, uh, just the disdain from Joe uh, or Bernie Sanders comments implying that, you know, there's there's one senator standing in the way of making America into a socialist utopia. Um, the reality is the overwhelming majority of the Congress 
uh, knows that this bill's crazy, even though there are six or seven Dems that only say in private what Joe and Kirsten Cinema say regularly in public, which is that there should be a reality check on wild-eyed progressives. They're not the mainstream. We live in a divided country. We have a 50-50 Senate. We're living through blowout inflation. And the American people don't want to upend this country with some nakedly partisan legislation that wants to transform everything. Do you think he's on to something that there's more than just Manchin and, you know, cinema has been kind of quiet? 100 percent. Listen, I asked Manchin that the second question, and he didn't want to go down that road. But he has said before there are other Democrats. Ben Sass is right. I don't know if there's six or seven, but there's definitely more than two. And what is happening here is if Chuck Schumer says, OK, we're going to vote on it anyway, you're going to make some of those senators who are up for reelection walk the gangplank because it's going to be used in ad after ad. Maggie Hassan, Mark Kelly, um, I can go down the list of about five or six, and, you know, they're not going to get the bill, and they're going to force the vote. It's almost as if Mitch McConnell is is making that play. All right. I just want to pivot real quick. On Tuesday, the, tomorrow, the president's going to make a speech about how, how we're going to survive the winter. Uh, I, I assume we all plan on surviving the winter with this coronavirus. We're here in year two. Do you think there's... From the political standpoint, do you think he's understanding that the mandates have a lot of repercussions and that he might have to change tax, being that he told us this would be over in July? Yeah, I think that that's an issue. I think that the mandate thing is an issue. However, Omicron itself is an issue now as the numbers continue to go up. I think um, it's a delicate political dance uh, to do. I think it's interesting that it's been characterized as an urgent speech that we have to wait till Tuesday to hear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole thing about this is a going to be a winter of doom and gloom in the statement that was put out and death for the unvaccinated. Uh, hearing someone just say get vaccinated, do you think there's pressure on to say we have to have a pivot of learning to live with this when keeping schools and businesses open? I encourage the ball to drop on forty uh, on uh, in Times Square. I mean, do you think that's that would be the type of move that maybe of type of, I guess, aggressive move that Biden needs to make now? I mean, it's the move of Colorado Governor Jared Polis, and his numbers are going up, and he's a Democrat in um, you know a bluish purplish state, and he's having success with those kinds of things. I don't know if the president can get there. I mean, you talk about a turnaround. That would be a turnaround. I mean, he just gave a speech about a winter of death and illness. Um, So, you know, that would be a big turn. But it's possible, I suppose. It didn't sound like that's what it was going to be in the the teaser. Well, as soon as we get through Christmas, all eyes are going to be on February and the all-star panel event for Children's General Hospital. Uh, If people want to join the likes of Jesse Waters... Uh, Brett Baer in person. I've seen him in person. It is a thrill. Uh, If we want to see people uh, like Shannon Bream in person, how do we do it? All right. It's going to be good. It's allstarpanelevent.com, allstarpanelevent.com. Tickets almost sold out, I think. Um, We're getting close. Big event, and it's going to be safe. And um, vaccinated or tested, we're going to have that stipulation. And it's going to be a wonderful, um, a wonderful event for Children's National. So it's February 19th, and you can go to that allstarpanelevent.com, get tickets, great Christmas gift, 
and then join us in Naples at the Ritz-Carlton on February 19th. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you know this, but Governor Hogan's now tested positive. He was one of your guests yesterday. Um, yeah, did, I know that. How was he? I got a word early. And, uh, yeah, so I'm triple vaxxed. I'm boosted. I'm, uh, I'm going to be doing, doing testing over the next couple of days. Uh, but I got word, and... You know, he said on the other side of the table, I didn't shake hands, so I think we're fine. Okay, good. Uh, Brett Baer, go get him. We'll see you. All right. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls and fin- actually find out if there's even more to know. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The competitive juices aren't, they're never going to go away. Um, this is my environment. This is what I've done my entire life. Uh, I'm just so thankful to be able to have this opportunity to do it again. That's pretty amazing. Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie, amazing how similar they are, how their approach is. And by all accounts, I heard he's fantastic. Tiger Woods came back. There's so much extraordinary things about what was going on yesterday at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Club in Orlando. One of which, Tiger Woods is back after a, an accident that many people said he was lucky just to survive and let his legs survive. And he's walking the course, not the whole course. And he's back with his son a year later, comes in second place uh, in Orlando. And meanwhile, he lost to John Daly, who's 55, and his son, who's 18. Tiger Woods is uh, younger than that. And his son is, well, how old is his son? He was just, I just had it here. But uh, he looks great. Isn't that amazing shots? He did. And, and the pictures were very, very adorable, right? Them in matching outfits in the same pose, sort of as... It was a very sweet moment. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Oh, Alec Baldwin's back in the news again. You know they subpoenaed his phone and everyone said, does that mean he's guilty? Well, Hampton's cops pulled him over and his wife after a warrant was issued for his phone. Uh, They said he was photographed sitting inside the car while Hilaria... Uh, spoke with a cop on the side of the road before pulling out her phone and showing the screen. Bolden also was photographed later as he stopped to pick up coffee and snacks while his wife remained inside the car. Meanwhile, the father of uh, of Helena Hutchins, the cinematographer who was killed by the gun that Bolden was holding, uh, on the Rust set accused the actor in a new interview of being at least partially responsible for her death. Trouble just starting. I don't get it. Why was he in the car? I don't know. And what happened to him moving to Vermont to stay quiet and out of the spotlight? Yeah, it's cool. You got to sell the house. Next. Louis C.K. is a new Sorry special proves that cancel culture isn't real, critics say. Uh, the aptly titled show Sorry shot over the summer at Madison Square Garden as the 54-year-old comedian's first since he faced numerous allegations of sexual misconduct back in 2017. Louis Louis played over the promo as he performed in front of a... Uh, as he performed in front of a giant lit sign that read "Sorry," the special is available by stream for ten dollars to twenty-five dollars to purchase via download. So, what does that say? I think it'll be interesting. I mean, if a lot of his fans, you know, download it and purchase it from his website, right? So it's going directly to him. It's going to pr- like, is he really canceled or not? Do his fans still want to hear from him? We'll see. Next, Trevor Noah was on sixty Minutes, the last feature there, mainly because he's hosting. I think it's the Grammys. At the end of the month? I think so. Some, one yeah, of the two. Yeah, so he was, uh, I, I guess. Uh, uh, Leslie Stahl asked him about Dave Chappelle and cancel culture and, you know, the whole, um, oh, my goodness, controversy with Netflix. Right. And this is what he had to say. Okay. In your mind, did he cross the line? Did Dave Chappelle cross the line? Yes, no. 
it immediately puts me in a position where I have to choose a side when I think that the matter is a lot more complex than that. I think everybody is defining the line for themselves. No, society defines a line. You, you see what you're saying now is you're saying society has decided. But America is clearly divided in that half of society has gone like, no, Dave Chappelle, we love what you said. We're sick of wokeness. We're sick of people being told what to say. We're sick of not knowing how to use the right pronoun. You're right, Dave Chappelle. So then if half of society is saying Dave Chappelle is right and half of society is saying that he's wrong, then that means there is no line. It means society is seeing the line from two different sides. And so that's why I say you cannot say did he cross the line because which side are you looking at the line from defines whether or not he crossed it. Right. Um, so glad I heard that. No, uh, but just I just want to know his opinion. But it was encouraging in that, you know, he wasn't like, how dare Dave Chappelle say anything that's offensive, right? He's his I mean, friend. You know, how's he well, going to I know turn that. Him? But I mean, so many people have. If so many comedians are so afraid of everything, it's not exactly the answer everyone wanted, but right. it wasn't I, saying you can't make jokes anymore. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Evidently, he filed another lawsuit against New York City Hospital and a doctor alleging a botched surgery. I'm not sure what it is, but he says he suffered severe emotional distress and great physical pain. The suit was uh, no, as a patient August 25th, 2020, and December 17, 2020, he underwent surgery with a hospital doctor in 2020. In November, the comedian alleges that defendants failed to prescribe proper medication, failed to discontinue certain prescription medications, and failed to use proper testing examinations uh, in order to diagnose the condition he was suffering from. So what was he suffering from? I don't, that's, that's the million-dollar question. You, you read all these stories, and you don't know what the true issue is, but... Aaron Sorkin next. Aaron Sorkin calls casting based on race or sexual orientation the mother of all empty gestures. Uh, Sorkin made the comments during the recent interview with UK Sunday Times, responding to the backlash he faced for casting Spanish actor Javier Bardem, uh, cast as a Cuban actor Desi Arnaz. What's wrong with that? I, what am I missing? You have, is, to, you have to hire a Cuban? That's what, you know, that's what the left and all of Hollywood is now saying. He also then went on to say that um, one's facial expressions are actable. So he can, you know, tell an actor to be less cold on screen, but he can't say be more Cuban, <laughs> which is a great point. Nouns are inactable. Gay and straight are inactable. You can get there by being attracted to someone, but can't act gay or straight. Really? Is that true? You have to act gay. Did I misread that? Well, of course you can act gay or straight. But yeah, I think you can. I totally disagree as somebody who's never acted before. But I, I, let me, I didn't read that line exactly, but I think the Cuban line is, All right, sort, okay. is the essence of it. Next, Buck Showalter agrees to a three-year contract as the Mets manager, replaces Louis Rojas. John Heyman of the MLB Network reported he's got a three-year deal. It's probably worth a lot of money. They want a quick turnaround with this team. Remember, <clears throat> they were in first place for most of the year. Then they fell apart, and they lost their Cy Young Award winner. But now they got Scherzer, Max Scherzer, and I think they got uh, Groman, uh uh, what was I saying? They got they got uh, the Cy Young Award winner, two time Cy Young winner, and uh, and I believe that they got a real shot this year. And I think this is the best move ever because Showalter is not able to finish the job with the New York Yankees. They began the dynasty. He brought those players up, Jeter and company, and Pettit, and Joe Torre took it the rest of the way. Did a great job, but Showalter went on to have success with the Rangers and Diamondbacks and Orioles, but never took anyone the whole way. I bet she takes the Mets the whole way. You think all of New York is going to rally around him like form, like Yankees fans, even though he's absolutely the not. They're going to hate him. <laughs> Yankees fans will definitely hate him. Everyone was rolling around with his great scene with the uh, uh, actually on Seinfeld with George Costanza. 
Uh, so go check that out. It's on Twitter and everywhere else. Hey, don't forget to watch me at the 7 o'clock tonight. Amongst our guests will be uh, Chris Christie and so much more. Uh, it's going to be a great show. A lot of breaking news throughout the show. And the world's going to preview the president's speech on Tuesday and hope they don't cancel New Year's Eve on Christmas Day. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.